G'day, I'm Party Parslow. Welcome to episode 21 of Party in China. Christmas was coming, the dogs were getting fat. Then getting gone, their cages stood empty. Jean had been temporarily transferred to another school where someone actually wanted to learn German. So luckily we never had to discuss poor, cute, fluffy Dexter's doom. I missed her, but really missed her apartment and the huge inbuilt heater. My place was freezing. I'd bought a small fan heater, which didn't do a lot, but could warm you up nicely if you put it under your doona and kept a wary eye out for wisps of smoke. I'd had a few extra bucks to splurge on luxuries like an electric heater because my new friend John proved to be the go-to guy for extra gigs. He always seemed to have some job which some friend needed doing in the evenings or on the weekend and would pass these little earners on to us if he was double booked or just couldn't be bothered doing it himself. He'd already set me up with some Sunday classes at a primary school in nearby Mianzhu, 600 yuan cash in hand. About a hundred Australian bucks. Very handy, thanks very much. Then on the weekend before Christmas, another opportunity knocked, but what sort of work wasn't clear. So my weekend was supposed to go something like this. Saturday morning, whatever this extra work was. Saturday afternoon, a bus to Chengdu. Saturday night, Christmas dinner with the other Sunny's teachers. A fun bunch of young Brits. Sunday morning, a bus from Chengdu to Mianzhu and three half-hour lessons with the younger classes. Sunday afternoon, three lessons with the older classes. Sunday evening, a bus from Mianzhu to Diang and Sunday night, Christmas celebrations at Diang Foreign Languages School starring me as Father Christmas, which I was dreading. Obviously, with such a full weekend, the only sensible thing to do would be to have a quiet Friday night and some much-needed sleep. So I went out. Juanita had invited me to a hot pot dinner and I'd excitedly assumed it was a date, but she told me that we were to be joined by several of her friends. While we waited for them in her bar, still called P&H, I tried a typically clumsy come-on and pointed out that now she'd dumped her husband, Philippe, she should marry me because she wouldn't have to buy a new neon sign for her bar. She seemed to consider it. The Chinese are a pragmatic people. The hot pot was very, very hot. Sichuan hot. Although the locals don't seem to notice, perhaps because they never stop smoking throughout the meal. So their tongues are protected by more layers of tar than the Chengdu-Beijing freeway. It was a nice enough restaurant a few doors down from P&H, but only had crappy Chinese beer, although with such spicy food, anything's welcome if only as fire extinguisher. Nonetheless, I was keen to get back to Winita's bar for some beautiful Becker's Schwarzer beer. She'd even started putting some in the freezer for her eccentric Antipodean customers who preferred their beer icy cold, even when it was freezing cold, outside. The other Antipodean was late for dinner as he'd been performing the same extra duty for which I was booked the following morning. Trevor explained that it was ridiculously simple. He'd been picked up at our apartments, driven for 10 minutes to a cute little kindergarten in a nearby village, taken part in a bizarre little performance where a teacher bumped into him on stage and he said, I'm sorry. The teacher then explained, I'm sorry, and gave a few examples of similar phrases in Chinese. 
The audience of parents repeated all the phrases, along with Trevor, and he was driven home and paid 300 yuan. The whole thing took about 45 minutes. He also told me that my appointment tomorrow had been shifted from 10.30am to 1.30pm. This could present a bit of a problem as I had to be at Christmas dinner by 6 o'clock in Chengdu. But if it was going to take less than an hour, I should still be able to make it. As I didn't get to bed until well after four in the morning, it now seemed a nice piece of luck that the primary school principal had changed our appointment to 1.30 in the afternoon. Moving slowly and quietly, I packed my bag for an overnight stay in the Sichuan capital, including the school's Santa suit, which I hoped might induce some ladies to sit on my knee and let me know if they were naughty or nice. But I left the bag at home as I expected to be less than an hour, just like Trevor the night before. Anxious to get whatever it was I was doing over and done with, I was at the front gate promptly. My plan was to be back by 2.30, at the Diang bus station around 3, be in Chengdu by 4.30 or so, Sam's guest house by 5ish, and in time for dinner at 6pm, enjoying English language pseudo-Christmas celebrations late into the night. The principal of the other school was not prompt. She was so late, I started worrying about making our early dinner time. I had met this principal a couple of nights earlier at the same front gate when John had brought her around to offer me the job. She's a typical middle-aged Chinese professional woman who really wanted Trevor for the whole weekend. It turned out later that's because she fancied him. She was always inviting him out to dinner and other social activities, but... Trev and I were both looking forward to our Christmas celebrations in Chengdu, so John negotiated a deal where Trevor would do a couple of hours on Friday for 300 yuan, and I'd do an hour or so on Saturday for 200, 30 bucks. I didn't really understand, but went along with it thinking I was helping out my friends. Friends? Fiends, more like the way things worked out. When the principal eventually showed, I went to the front passenger side of her small Chinese sedan and a very old, very tiny lady got out and opened up the back door, revealing a mass of people cramped in there, at least six or eight, most of them children. For one terrible second, I thought she wanted me to climb in on top of them. But no, she clambered in amid squealed protests. She didn't quite fit. Her right buttock was still out of the car, so I gently closed the door on it and then shoved it shut checking that nobody had popped out the other side, Keystone Cops style. Because of the crowd in the back, the passenger seat was as far forward as it could go, and I nearly opted out right then. Oh, if only I had. But remembered that I'd promised to do the gig, that I'd try to be a man of my word, that it was only going to take an hour, and most importantly, that I'd spend the 200 yuan partying with English speakers that night. So, with no more difficulty than packing a king-size quilt into an A4 envelope, I folded myself into the front seat. We headed off with my knees crushed against the dashboard and my head jammed against the roof. So, when some kids in the back started talking to me, I couldn't even turn round to see the owners of the various voices. What is your name? Party. Hello, Party. Hello. 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 Good afternoon. Good afternoon. G'day. The confusing colloquialism shut them up for a few minutes. They had a whispered conference in Chinese, and then 
Party? Yes. Hello. Hello. Party? Hello. Do you know China Wall is 6,800? The Great Wall of China is 6,800 kilometres long or 6,800 years old? I'm sure it's longer and younger. There was no reply. According to the State Administration of Cultural Heritage, Chongqing, or Long Wall, is 21,196.18 kilometres long, over 2,300 years old, and contrary popular myth, it is not visible with the naked eye from orbit. We arrived at a dirt road village with a brightly painted kindergarten. As Trevor had said, it was little more than a 10-minute drive. However, when I went to get out, the principal made no, no, no noises and indicated I should stay in the car. She then disappeared from my peripheral vision. I still couldn't turn around to see what was happening. And I heard the back doors open and bodies popping out either side like candies from a bashed piñata. After several minutes, around half of the passengers climbed back in and we hit the road again. In blessed silence, except for the principal, constantly talking on one of her two phones. Until now, she'd been an average Chinese driver, using both sides of the road at whim, accelerating into oncoming traffic to intimidate other drivers into leaving enough room for our left-hand turns, blaring her horn for no apparent reason. But once we hit the highway, she really opened up. I assumed she'd funded her teaching degree by moonlighting as a getaway driver for bank robberies. By now, I'd taken to assuming that my next trip in a Chinese vehicle would be my last. I just didn't see how I could continue to survive such chaos. But I was fatalistic, not suicidal. So I had a problem with her constant phone calls. She had an old-style mobile and a smartphone on the dashboard, and every few minutes, one or the other would ring. I really thought she should devote more attention to estimating the space between the truck and the roadside chestnut vendor as she squeezed through at full velocity with two wheels in the dirt. I had been trying to find the seatbelt over my shoulder for a while, but decided that I was so tightly packed in it probably wouldn't offer any additional protection. Besides, putting on a seatbelt over there usually seemed to be interpreted as an insult to the driver's ability, and I didn't want to upset her just then. Just then, I upset her. She was on the mobile phone and the smartphone rang. Sure enough, she let go of the steering wheel entirely to pick that one up too and started talking into both of them. Instinctively, I grabbed the wheel with one hand only to earn a truly filthy glare. With a flick downwards of her eyes, she showed me she was steering with her knees. Reluctantly, I let go. She eventually returned one hand to the steering wheel and the fear factor stabilised for about half an hour, but soared again once we started climbing into the mountains. She felt it was perfectly safe to speed around blind curves on the wrong side of the road as long as you held down the horn. It was a bit like riding a roller coaster. The first big drop scares you into a certain level of fear, which is your new baseline. After that, you need a bigger drop or a loop-de-loop -loop or something to scare you even more. After the first wrong side of the road blind bend, I stayed steadily alarmed for the next half dozen, not becoming truly terrified until she overtook another car which was already overtaking a truck 
three of us, side by side, no idea what was coming round the mountain when she comes, no guardrail, and a precipice inches from my door. I may have fainted then, because the next thing I recall clearly is driving into a city. I now know that it's Zhongzhang, but at the time had no idea. We turned into a crowded hotel car park and the principal parted the dense throng by pushing people aside with the front of the car. Once parked, I couldn't wait to get out of that car. But I couldn't get out of the car. It took me so long to extricate, straighten and uncramp myself. When I was finally standing upright, the other passengers had all disappeared. It was now nearly 3pm, so much for the whole gig taking less than an hour. I began to suspect that Trevor and John were playing a practical joke on me. Having somehow maintained control of my bladder during the terror drive, I now needed a loo, but the principal was yelling and gesturing me to follow her. She did her Moses impression once more, parting primary school families and getting us to some stairs in one wing of the hotel, which went up five flights to a rooftop ballroom. There she abandoned me amid several hundred noisy people. As usual, the curious parents assessed me and the small children fled in front of me, then circled around and followed along to see what the giant would do next. What I did was seek a toilet with increasing urgency. There wasn't one, but there was a stone balcony at the end of which I found the room I required. Quickly turning and growling to scare away my young pursuers, I hurried in, already unzipping to save a few seconds. Which is how I found myself, cock in hand, facing a dozen or so people enjoying afternoon tea on the nearby roof of the opposite wing. The bathroom had French doors, which were wide open, improving both airflow and their view. We all looked at each other for a few seconds. There was nothing else to do except fulfil my intended mission. I pretended to ignore the spectators, but perhaps gave the habitual final flick a little extra flair. There was no applause. Next time on Party in China, my Christmas gets much, much weirder. And then it gets worse. I'm Party Parslow. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to Party in China. For more, like us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter. Subscribe to the podcast at Audio Boom, Stitcher, iTunes, or your favorite podcast distributor. This has been another quality podcast production from Bytes.com.